Well, good morning, Mount Horeb. Everybody wide awake at 1045? Good. Yeah, okay, good. Woo. Okay, good. I'm so glad to be with you today. And at 9 o'clock, it was kind of an interesting, cool surprise. We got a picture that our high school students who are serving in Costa Rica until this coming Wednesday, they were up early watching the 9 o'clock service this morning all the way in Costa Rica. And so we got a chance to say hello to them this morning. But such a blessing as a church to be able to connect to them in that way, even as they're on a mission trip over in Costa Rica. Uh, my name is Trevor Miller. I'm one of the pastors here at Mount Horeb, and I consider it a really great honor to be able to open up God's Word with you today and allow Him to teach us something new, uh, to change us and transform us. Uh, today, this morning, we're actually going to be wrapping up our summer sermon series, A Summer with Wesley. Have you enjoyed this time together as we've walked down memory lane, looking at all these Wesleyan tenants that have helped been the foundation of our church? I've really enjoyed it, but I'm kind of a nerd, so I don't know if you've enjoyed it as much as I have. But it's been fun to go back and look at all the things that Wesley said that he believed to be important that became the foundation that a church like this was built upon. So over the past couple of weeks, we've looked at the doctrine of salvation, the need for salvation, the conversion experience, of discipleship, of missional service, of holiness, of transcendence. And today, sadly, as we wrap up our sermon series, we're gonna be looking at the biblical concept that, that all of us, I think, can relate to this morning, and it's something called assurance. Assurance. Now, in this room, uh, from one side to the other, I would imagine there's a lot of commonalities that we have, a lot of things that we share with one another. So some of us have dark hair in the room, just like others. Some have lighter hair. Some have lesser hair in the room. And, and all the things in between, we have commonalities that we share. You know, some of us are Clemson fans, and some of us are Gamecock fans, right? Let me hear the Gamecock fans. Let me hear the Clemson fans. Had to be equal opportunity from the stage, but... There are all kinds of things that we share in common, and there are many things that we have in difference from one another as well. Some of us, like, we love to get up early. Some of us are night owls. But this morning, there is one single thing that all of us share in common. All of us have, no matter who we are, no matter what our background is, we share this one thing in common, and that is this, that one day, all of us will die. Amen. Y'all have a great day. Uh, enjoy. Um, no, all of us, at some point in time in our life, our lives will expire, all of us. There's no one exempt from this in this room. None of us get out of this life alive. This is all true for all of us. We all share it in common with one another. And I would argue this is one of the reasons why this topic this morning is so important. Uh, death can be a concept that for many people, they don't like to talk about. And I'm kind of one of those. It can be a bit morbid, kind of a downer. But the truth is, I would argue that every one of us in this room have probably thought about this kind of idea at some point in time or another, maybe often. I read a recent study that said that nearly 40% of people surveyed said that they either somewhat or significantly are afraid of death, 40%. So this topic is one that I think is actually really applicable to us today, particularly from some of the things we've gone through over the past few years as a country and a world. I mean, death is something that we are actually much closer to than many of us would like to admit. And so this morning, we wanna talk about this. Maybe some of the reasons that people don't wanna talk about is because we're, we're fearful. Maybe we're fearful of judgment, perhaps, and at the end of our life, the way that we've chosen to live our life. Maybe we're fearful of leaving things that we've built and tried so hard to build throughout our life. Maybe we're fearful of saying goodbye to people that we love. But either way, death is the great unknown. It's a scary thing. It's a hard thing to think about. And for many people, it is the enemy of Christian assurance. Death is the blocker to Christian assurance. I would define this morning assurance in a very specific way so that we're all on the same page in what we're talking about today. 
I would define Christian assurance as a God-given confidence for every true believer in Christ of their present approval and future acceptance by God. To truly have assurance, to be confident in the fact that today I am presently approved by God and in the future I will be accepted by him into eternity alongside of him. Assurance. When I was really young, I remember beginning to really wrestle with this kind of idea. It was kind of a scary thing to me. I remember I was only like third grade, but for whatever reason, it was something that kind of like came up in my mind often. Oddly enough, on the middle school mission trip just last week or whatever week that was ago, um, there were two students that I talked with who had a very similar kind of experience that the idea of eternity, the idea of, of an infinite number freaked them out. To think about a time that after my life, there'll be, there'll be a forever. Like, what do I do with that? And for me as a kid, this was something that really concerned me. And it concerned me for a lot of different reasons. And, and one of them was because though I become a Christian as a seven-year-old boy in my home church, there were things that had happened to me or things that I had done, I know for sure, that were sinful. And so because of that, I was a bit angsty about what this meant. I mean, if I prayed for forgiveness, would God actually forgive me? Could I be confident that I would spend eternity with him one day when my life was over? So I remember as a kid, when the altar was open, oftentimes I was at the altar saying the same prayers over and over and over again. God, forgive me. Would you please love me? Would you please accept me into your kingdom one day? Like a bit angsty about it. I remember talking to my mom about this as a kid. I remember her response to me, because it kind of changed the way I thought about it. I remember speaking to her about this. My mom said, listen, Trevor, the, the fact that you're even this concerned about this <laughs> might be evidence that you can trust that you are in God's hands. I remember thinking, that's a good point. The fact that I care enough about my relationship with God and want to be in right relationship with him, perhaps that is something enough for me to have assurance that indeed I am loved by him and I am safe in his hands. This morning, I believe this topic can radically transform our lives because far too many of us in the room today, we spend too much time and energy stewing about what will happen in eternity. What will happen after I die? For too many of us, we spend way too much of our life worrying if God can be trusted to take care of us both this side of heaven and on the other side of death. And for many of us, our lack of assurance, it paralyzes us in fear. I know many who can't live life each day because they're worried about what happens when their life is over. And we're unable then to experience the fullness of life that is offered to us in Jesus Christ. So this doctrine, this belief in assurance is actually one that Wesley cared very deeply about. He spoke about often. And I would argue it's because likely this radical transformation that he went through from being someone who was very uncertain about their salvation to being someone who was entirely confident of where he stood before God, that was something that really defined his faith and defined Methodism and Wesleyanism. In January 25th, 1736, we'll take a little step back, John Wesley was aboard a ship headed from England to the east coast of colonial America. Now, as we've shared earlier, he was coming to serve as a missionary in Georgia. It didn't go as quite like he thought it would go, but on the way traveling across the ocean, the ship that he was on encountered a massive storm. And Wesley wrote in his journal, he said this. He said, the sea broke over. It split the mainsail in pieces, covered the ship, and poured in between the decks as if the great deep had already swallowed us up. A terrible screaming began among the English. So Wesley records that in this storm that came up, the ship was being engulfed by the ocean. 
And he and his other, his other folks that were with him, his other English uh, priests and pastors were terrified. I mean, they were screaming for their life because they believed they were going to die in the Atlantic Ocean. He also writes that not far from him was another group of Christians, Protestant Christians known as the Moravians. Now, as the English were screaming for their life, the Moravians, he writes, were singing hymns in confidence in the middle of the storm. Now, they survived the storm, their lives were spared, and he goes to speak to the Moravians and he asks them, were you as not afraid? And they said, no, we were not afraid. And he writes, but were your children and your women, were they afraid? And the Moravians said, no, they are not afraid to die. They're not afraid to die. That one experience for Wesley changed everything. Though he had gone to school to be a priest in the English church, though he had spent many, many years with the holy clubs in Oxford, in his heart, he was still uncertain of the saving grace of God that would enable him to face death without fear. And I wonder if this one experience with the Moravian Christians on this ship would have brought him back in his mind to a year previous as he was spending time with his father as his father laid on his deathbed. Samuel Wesley was about to die. He was spending time with John and Charles, his two sons. Now he had been an Anglican priest with the English church for many, many years. And his final words to his sons was this. The inward witness, son. The inward witness. This is the proof the strongest proof of Christianity. The weaker I am in body, the stronger and more sensible support I feel from God. Think of heaven, talk of heaven. All the time is lost when we are not thinking about heaven. Samuel Wesley says it's about the inward witness. It's the inward witness that gives us assurance, the inward witness that gives us confidence. This is what he says to his sons, John and Charles, as he breathes his last. I believe that in this room this morning, all of us as we leave, we can leave with a peace, a confidence, without fear, because of the inward witness that Samuel Wesley spoke about. We can have Christian assurance that when we place our faith in Christ and trust his work on the cross, an amazing grace that is salvation for us, nothing can shake us, not even death. It's an incredible experience for John Wesley with the Moravians on the ship, and eventually it leads him to his transformational experience at Aldersgate that we've talked about previous, when his heart was strangely warmed. He became confident in his heart, he writes, and he felt that he did trust Christ, Christ alone for his salvation, and an assurance was given him that Jesus had taken away his sins and saved him from the law of sin and death. There is something powerful about a person who is sure of their standing before God, that death cannot touch them. There's something special about a person who knows that the worst thing that could possibly happen to them will not be the last thing that happens to them. This is why this conversation and this part of the doctrine is so important for us to embrace and talk about today. Because a church full of people who are not afraid to die is a church of people who are uniquely positioned to actually fully live. Do you hear me? A church of people who are not afraid to die are the only church full of people who are actually really able to fully live and experience the life that's available to us in Christ. That kind of thing can change the world. So this morning, I'm gonna spend a little bit of time talking about four different reasons that we can have true assurance in Christ today. Now, I know that not, probably not all four of these may hit home today, but my prayer would be that one of them does. It would be, be able to leave 
you hear today as you leave with peace and confidence and assurance. First, there's the assurance of God's presence. The assurance of God's presence with us. Whenever we find ourselves going into an uncertain situation or a scenario that makes us uneasy, there is nothing more reassuring than having someone with us who has gone there before, right? There's nothing better than going into a situation we don't know how it's gonna go with having someone who is confident because it causes our confidence to rise as well. Now, school is right around the corner to which every child in the room was like, oh. And every teacher is like, oh, right? And I remember when my son first went back, went to school as a, as a child, kindergarten, he was terrified. He was terrified because he didn't know if he went to the school, if he would get lost on the way to his classroom. And if he got lost on the way to his classroom, we would never be able to find him again. He would end up living in the school for the rest of his life and his parents never see him again. So we would make maps for him. We would draw color-coded maps for him and send him with maps so that he would know how to get to this place or that place. But he was terrified until he found out that the first week of school, guess what? Mom and dad got to walk in with him. And you have never seen the kind of transformation in a child ever in your life. Going from terrified to suddenly now, mom and dad are with me, everything's cool. Waving at people on the way in. This is my classroom, I know exactly where I'm going. There's something that happens when we have the presence of someone who's gone before us. The presence of someone who is confident, it rises up confidence within us as well. We can have assurance in our lives, right now in the life to come, because of God's presence with us. You see, Jesus came to earth, he walked this earth, he lived this life that you and I have lived. He experienced sorrow, he experienced loss, he experienced joy and happiness, he's done it all. And eventually Jesus gave up his life, he died on the cross, was buried in a tomb and resurrected from the dead. He's experienced everything. And so his presence with us can give us confidence in this life because there's nothing that we can experience that he has not. If we fast forward to the end of John Wesley's life, we see that this has profoundly become a piece of his life and his heart and his mind. This assurance has truly become a part of who he is. His confidence came from a very simple phrase that he speaks just before he dies. Wesley on his deathbed twice raises his hands into the air and he says this, the best of all is that God is with us. Farewell, farewell. The best of all is that God is with us. You see, the reason Wesley could both live and die with such assurance is because he believed that God is indeed with us. He's with us right now. He's with us on the mountaintop and he's with us in the valley. He's with us when life is good and he's with us when life gets hard. He's with us when life is beautiful and when it all falls apart. The best of all is that God is with us. Our faith is formed by a simple fact that comes from the scriptures that God did not wait for us to come to him, but instead he came to us to be present with us. Here's how it's said in John chapter one, verse 14. The writer says, the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only son who came from the father full of what? Grace and truth. You see, we can have assurance in the fact that we are secure in the hands of God because Jesus himself, God pulled on skin and walked among us to suffer, to die, and eventually to experience bodily resurrection. And before he went into heaven, the Bible tells us that he sends the Holy Spirit to us. Though Jesus came to dwell with us, the Holy Spirit comes to dwell in us. 
God does not get any closer than that. That for the believer, the Spirit of God lives and dwells inside of us. This should give us confidence that God will take care of us this side of heaven and on the other side of death because we are with him. There's been special times in my life where I can't fully explain it, but I've just had this sense that God was near. You know, different kinds of situations and difficult times. I know many in the church, I've had many conversations of folks who've, who've experienced the same kind of thing. I can't fully explain it, and it might seem a little wacky, but I just knew God was there. I knew his presence was close, and it gave me courage. It gave me boldness. Recently, I had a church member share a story with me personally, but also share it on Facebook in a very beautiful way. There's a family in our church named the Johnstons, uh, Tom and Robin Johnston. And when I was the middle school youth pastor here many, many years ago, I met their two children. They were middle school students at the time, Nick and McCall, they're twins. And they were some of my favorite students to ever come to this youth program. Spent many, many years with them. Was so blessed to do both of their weddings eventually. And a beautiful friendship grew between the Johnston family and the Miller family. And Robin and Tom were a blessing to me all along the way. Not long ago, Tom was diagnosed with cancer, and it was very aggressive, and it was really painful for the family and for those in this church who loved him very much to watch him go from treatment to treatment and, and fight for his life. And last October, uh, Tom came home from one of his hospital visits. Um, he had had many of them, and when he came home, a friend had gotten him a balloon, and the balloon was a welcome home balloon. They had it in the house as he came home. And somewhere along the way, Robin's grandkids were at the house and they came along and there was one chair that Tom always sat in as he was uh, kind of living out the last bit of his life and this balloon was tied to that chair and one of the grandkids came along, untied it and it floated up into the top cathedral ceiling of the living room, 25 feet above and stayed there for nine months. So for nine months, every time he looked up, there was a welcome home balloon at the very top reminding of when Tom came home for the hospital. Now, when Tom entered into hospice, Robin said that she spoke to him and said, Tom, I want you to let me know when you make it to heaven. Like, I wanna know when you're in the presence of God. Would you send me a sign? And so eventually, um, I had the opportunity to go just a few days before Tom passed away to spend time with him. It was a beautiful, beautiful time in their living room. Listening to Tom share about his life and his confidence and God's love for him and where he was going and what was going to happen. And eventually, uh, Tom died. And after passing away, every day that Robin would come home, she was expecting for this balloon that had been up in the ceiling for nine months to finally come back down to earth. And over and over again, it was right there in the ceiling still. And about a month ago, she had come home to the house, and when she did, she came in the front door, and when she did, she turned around, and as she turned around, she saw this balloon descending from the ceiling and she said it moved all the way across the room and landed right in Tom's chair. I'll show you a picture. She took this picture. With tears in her eyes, she was overwhelmed by the presence of God, reminding her that not only was she in God's hands, but so was Tom. And look at the balloon, welcome home. And she knew in her heart at that moment that Tom had received the good Welcome home, good and faithful servant from a life well lived. See, the presence of God is not always something that we can fully even explain. But there are times in our life where we can look at it and say, I, I know God is with us. I know that he's with me. And it's demonstrated most clearly through the sacrifice of his son on the cross. 
This is God with us. So God is with us in the miraculous and he's with us in the mundane. And that gives us a deep sense that God offers us an assurance that we can trust him, both in this life and life of eternity. Secondly, there's the assurance of God's love. The assurance of God's love. When you know for certain that you are loved by someone, it, it frees you up to live without any kind of fear. It frees you to live and be able to operate with an incredible amount of confidence. And if you don't believe me, you just need to come spend time with my four-year-old daughter, almost four-year-old daughter, Murray. She loves to go to the pool. She loves to swim. Now, Murray's about to be four, but she doesn't know how to swim yet. She, you would think she does, but she does not. And the pool is deep enough that it, she cannot keep her head above the water. But if I'm in the pool with her, she will, without even question, run and jump into the pool, into my arms, and screech the entire way until she hits the water. But why? I can tell you, it's not because she is confident in herself being able to keep her head above water. It's not because she thinks she can touch if you push, she puts her tippy toes down really, really far. It's because she is so confident in my love for her that if she were to jump in the pool even far off, I will do whatever I can in my power to make it to her to rescue her. She trusts that because she trusts my love. We don't, we don't just have assurance from God because of his presence. We have assurance from God because he loves us. Please hear me this morning. The truest thing about you is that you are loved by God. No matter how you feel about yourself, no matter what is said to you, the truest thing about you, the most foundational thing about you is that you are loved by God. His love for you has been demonstrated through Jesus' death on the cross. In your heart, do you believe that you are loved? Deep in your soul, do you believe that you are loved by him? I would argue that the leading reason for despair in our culture and, and depression in our culture, anxiety and fear is a skepticism of God's love for us. But Paul addresses this in Romans chapter eight as he speaks to the church in Rome. Here's what he says in verse 38 through 39. He says, for I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present or the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Do you hear the words Paul uses here? The words of assurance. He says, I am convinced that there is nothing that can separate us from God's love that is available to all all of us, and through God's love, angels and demons can't separate us. Present and future can't separate us. Height nor depth, life nor death. There is nothing that can separate us from the powers of, power of God's affection for you and for me. And if we really believe this, if we really embrace this in our life, I believe it would change the kind of angst that we live with oftentimes, being worried about the future and what's to come and what might happen. Bill Hybels writes about this in one of his books. He says it so well. He says, sometime when you're in an airport, observe the difference between passengers who have confirmed tickets and those who are on standby. Y'all have experienced this? The ones with confirmed tickets, they read newspapers, they chat with friends, they take time to sleep. But the ones on standby hang around the ticket counter. They pace and they worry, they worry and they pace. The difference is caused by the confidence factor. They have a ticket to their destination. 
if you knew that in 15 minutes you would stand in judgment before a holy God and learn your eternal destiny, how would you react? Would you worry and pace? Or would you be confident in the love of God that offers grace to repentant sinners and a confirmed ticket to eternity with him, all bought and paid for by the blood of Jesus Christ? That's assurance. It's an assurance in God's love for you and me. I believe in this room and across our campus, there are one of two people. See, some of us in the room this morning, here's what enters our mind. We may think, one day I'm going to die. I don't know if I can live. We're paralyzed, we're worried, we're anxious. And on the other hand, there are some who think, one day I'm going to die, but today I will live. Those are two very different ways of existing. A worry of the future and one of confidence in both today and eternity. When we trust in our hearts that we were created by God, that he loves us and sustains us, I believe that's when life really begins. So we really get to experience all that God has for us. So there's assurance in, in God's presence. There's assurance in God's love. And third, there's assurance in God's spirit. There's assurance in God's spirit. You are a physical being, but you're not just physical. You are also a spiritual being. Now, maybe some in the room would say, Trevor, you don't know me, apparently. I don't read the Bible much. I don't go to church much. I don't think about God much. And I would argue, even if those things are true, you cannot separate your spiritual nature from your physical one. It's a part of who you are, whether you like it or not. We are spiritual beings. You are more than just a body. You are more than just a brain or a heart that pumps blood through your body. You have a soul. You have a conscience. You have a will. There are things deep inside of you that even if we were to dissect you, it could not be found. It's somewhere beyond the physical. You are a spiritual being. What this means is that there are deep parts of who you are that perhaps this morning are dormant, that perhaps are forgotten, that perhaps are wounded, that the Spirit of God can and will speak to. And these parts of us, they are often accessed when we find ourselves quiet and reflective, when we find ourselves desperate and hopeful, curious and open, and this part of Christian assurance is one that Wesley spoke to often. In fact, he speaks specifically to a passage of Scripture in Romans chapter 8, verse 16. I love this passage. Wesley shares this in his sermon many, many times. In Romans 8, 16, it says this, The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. We are God's children. What this means is that deep part of who you are, that spiritual piece of who you are has the ability to be able to hear from and communicate with and connect with the Spirit of God to do one of two things, to affirm for us as followers of Christ that we indeed are his children. Or perhaps as we do inward uh, introspection to be able to allow God to speak to us and say there's something that needs to be dealt with here. There's sin that needs to be repented of here. There's a movement that needs to take place here, a healing that God wants to do here. Here's how Wesley talks about it. He says, it is good to renew ourselves from time to time by closely examining the state of our souls as if we have never done it before. For nothing tends more to the full assurance of faith than to keep ourselves by this means in humility 
in the exercise of all good work. Here's what Wesley's saying. Sometimes we need to slow down enough to be able to look within ourselves and ask ourselves the tough question. Does our spirit and the spirit of God confirm for us that we are indeed his children? Do we have that sense deep within us? Do we have that security, that assurance? This is the space that God can use in powerful ways. And so this morning, I know that life is busy and stuff comes up. Maybe this morning, there was a bit of an argument all the way to the church. How do I know that? Because it happens in my car too, okay? So there's a lot of things that have perhaps happened this morning. And I want us to give us just a moment to be able to do exactly what Wesley said to be introspective enough to look inside ourselves and allow our spirit to hear from the spirit of God. I don't think it's woo-woo. I think it's actually a central piece of what it means to be a follower of Christ. That God is so present with us that we can hear from him and experience him. So for just a moment, I wanna invite you just to close your eyes and just allow the spirit of God to speak to your spirit, your soul, and to confirm for you that you're loved by him. And perhaps to even speak to your spirit and say, let's deal with this piece and this piece and this piece that we might have a closer relationship with one another. But take just a moment of silence, just eyes closed to hear from God. Do you feel how just those 20, 25 seconds can seem like an eternity? Being quiet just enough? I, I would argue it's because our culture is so removed from this. Solitude, silence. Most studies would agree that belief in Christ and the Christian faith is on the decline, mostly in the West. And I would argue it, it probably correlates directly with the amount of distraction that we have the amount of busyness that we have. So we don't take the time to do this one simple act. What does my spirit say in terms of the spirit of God? What is our relationship here? There was a guy named John Bacon. It's Kevin's brother. It's not true. John Bacon was a famous sculptor. And I read that he left this inscription on his tomb at the Westminster Abbey before he died. He wrote this, he said, what I was as an artist seemed of some importance to me while I lived. But what I was as a believer in Jesus Christ is the only thing of importance to me now. You know, 100 years from now, the only thing that will really matter is someone's relationship with God. We're, we're all looking for security. We're all looking for assurance in some kind of way and we go at it in different directions. Some, we look for success and finances, some power and influence and recognition and accomplishment, but there is no security that compares to knowing the fact that you are a child of God, that you are loved by him. And one day, as John Bacon says, it'll be the only thing of importance to you. 
So to take time to allow our spirit to respond to the spirit of God is not a side project. It is the work that we have been given to know and have assurance in God. Lastly, there's the assurance of God's fruit. Now, this is the most practical of all of the ways to experience assurance in our relationship with God. And it's an easy one because you can look at, there's actual like uh, things that you can judge and, and measure. If you wanna know for certain that you are in a saving relationship with God, one that has changed your life forever and saved you today and also into eternity, look no further than the way that you live today. Look no further than the kind of life that you live. Here's how Jesus says it in John 15, verse five through eight. Jesus says, I am the vine, and you are the branches. If you remain in me and I remain in you, you will bear much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. If you do not remain in me, I do not remain in you. Go to the next one. You'd be like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up and thrown into the fire and burned. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. One of the ways we have assurance in God is by the fruit that comes from our life. I'm gonna be very, very clear today. We don't earn our way into heaven by the fruit that we bear. We don't get into heaven because we've done a lot of really, really good things. It is actually a result of having a relationship with Jesus that these things are a part of our life. If you were to take an orange tree, apple tree, peach tree, whatever kind of fruit tree, plant it in your yard, give it adequate sun, water, and so forth, eventually those roots would grow deep and eventually you would have some kind of fruit that would come from those trees in connection to whatever tree that is. According to Jesus, it's the same thing for a believer. That someone who is deeply connected to Jesus, as he says, I'm the vine, you're the branches. If you stay connected with me, you will bear much fruit. The same thing is true for him. That when we grow our roots deep into Christ, how we treat people should change. What we look at when no one is looking should change. How we speak should change. How we serve, how generous we are, how we treat our spouses and our children, it should change. How we spend our time. Does the fruit that you exhibit in your life look like a person who has roots that are deeply planted in Christ? Years ago, when Megan Sanders, you may know her here at the church, she and I were interns in student ministry, and one year she was in charge of confirmation. Scary proposition, just kidding. But she was in charge of all of confirmation. I remember her teaching one day about this concept. She was teaching about the fruits of the Spirit. And she said something to the students that was so offensive to me at the time. She told them, listen, if you're a follower of Jesus, you should have exemplified in your life love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, all of these fruits of the Spirit, they should be a part of your life. And if they're not, you have to ask the question, why? I remember thinking, wow, Megan, that was very bold of you. But the more I thought about it, she's absolutely right. The fruit of the Spirit should be things that do come from our life. And as a follower of Christ, it should be evident in our life. And Jesus says it. If you're connected to me, I'm the vine, you're the branches, then you will bear much fruit. But if you do not remain in me, you will bear nothing. You will have no fruit. And so it's really a simple question. One of the ways that we can have assurance in our relationship with God is to look at our life and say, has anything changed? Does anything change? 
Do I ever self-assess and make adjustments? Do I ever look at myself and say, wow, I don't have much joy. God, would you bring joy into my life? I'm not very kind. I'm not very patient. I have no self-control. These are things that should be a part of our life. And it's evidence of someone who is deeply rooted and in connection with Jesus. It's a flourishing life. And it's evidence of a person who is fully surrendered to God. So we can have assurance today through the presence of God, the love of God, the spirit of God, and by his grace, the fruit of God in our life, it's available to us. And it can give us confidence. In 2018, my grandmother passed away. And to give you a little conf, uh, you know, context, my grandmother uh, was the grandmother I lived like a cornfield away from for like most of my life. So I was at her house all the time. We were always together. I was the grandson that she made chocolate chip cookies without chocolate chips because I was her favorite. But we, we were very, very close. And so when she passed away after six years of dementia, Alzheimer's, it was one of the hardest moments for our family. And I remember after she passed away, we traveled to Indiana, back to my home church to uh, have a funeral. And not long ago, I was looking through my phone and I had the notes still that I wrote in my, written in my phone that I was gonna share in front of everyone so eloquently. And it did not go as eloquent as I thought it was gonna go. I mostly cried through the entire thing. But I remember after the funeral, we were loading up in vehicles to go to the cemetery. And I walked out to one of the vehicles and my grandfather was sitting in there by himself. And so I got in the front seat to drive him. And I looked over and he was sitting in the other passenger seat just kind of looking out the window. I mean, I don't know what you do when you've been married that long and now your spouse is gone. And um, as a young married person with just a couple of kids that were pretty little, I don't know how to navigate that situation. So the only thing I really needed to do was just kind of reach over and, and take his hand. And so, so I did. And I took this picture just before we left. Holding my grandfather's hand. You see, what I noticed from this funeral and this time at the graveside and watching my grandfather handle what he was handling, I noticed that there was certainly grief mourning, sorrow, loss. But there was something else there too. And it felt like hope. You see, assurance for the Christian is a mixture of grief and hope. We grieve and we should. Human loss is never easy. Whether it's us or someone that we love, it's never easy to say goodbye. But at the same time, there's something that can exist within us, an assurance that causes us to have hope that the worst thing that can happen to us will not be the last thing that happens to us because we will experience resurrection just like Jesus who's gone before us. Paul says it this way. I never do a funeral without this passage. Here's what he says in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. I want you to hear this fresh this morning. Brothers and sisters, we do not want you to be uninformed about those who sleep in death so that you do not grieve like the rest of mankind who have no hope. For we believe that Jesus died and rose again. And so we believe that God will bring with Jesus those who have fallen asleep in him. Paul says, don't grieve like the rest of the world who has no hope. For the rest of the world who doesn't believe in a resurrection, sacrificial Jesus. When it's the end, it's the end. That's it. The book is closed. 
But for the Christian, it is truly only the beginning. There's an eternity that we are offered through a relationship with Jesus that can be secured in no other way. And we can be assured of that, confident of that. And what would happen if there was a whole church of people who were not afraid to die? That might just be a whole church who really can go forward to live. Let's pray together. God, to speak about the end of life and future, eternity, all these things, God, can be so intimidating and so scary. Oftentimes, we want to avoid it at all costs and find something else to be busy with today so we don't think about tomorrow. But I pray that today, Lord, that you would allow your spirit to speak to ours, to reveal to us, God, whether we have truly placed our trust, our hope, our faith in you. I pray, God, that we would sense your presence with us and it would give us confidence. We would sense your love for us and we would respond with confidence. We would sense your spirit with us, God, and we would know that you are near. And God, I pray that as we give our lives to you fully and grow deep roots into the person of Christ, that you would produce within us fruit that is in keeping with salvation, that we might be assured that we are in your hands. So this morning, God, I pray for any person here today who has come in here concerned or worried, anxious about the future. Would you help them to leave here today willing to face anything, even death, knowing that you are good and that we can place our hope and trust in you. So God, thank you for your grace and your mercy. Thank you for Jesus. It's in your name that we pray and together everyone said,